Judges chapter number three. We are in a series on the book of Judges. We covered chapters one and two last week and talking about those uh, compromises that we make. And so what we want to dive into today is the beginning of chapter three and talking about and looking into the tests that God brings into your life. And uh, the big idea there, if you're taking notes, is that God will test you. God will test you. Um, There is a strand of Christianity, if it is that, that um, would tell you that by following Jesus, your life will get better. That your finances will get better. That your relationships will get better. And all of those things are certainly possible. But that is not a promise that God ever gives you. In fact, God makes promises and commands that go in the opposite direction. Things like anyone who desires to live a godly life will suffer persecution. And we could go on and on. There there are so many places. You can look at every uh, hero in the Bible and their hero status comes from God using them in times where uh, that were really difficult. And uh, no doubt you have walked through some of those seasons. Why is God testing me? If you're honest like me, you, you sit here and you might think to yourself, you know, wouldn't it have just been easier if God had just created us without problems? You know, we look at the story of Genesis and you're like, man, if, if those knuckleheads had just one decision... The Bible's clear in Romans that through one man's sin, sin and death came into the world. And if, and if we're, we're not careful with our theology, we can start to think, well, man, I got the raw end of that deal. What is that all about? Why, God, would you do that? And we see something about the character of God and the fact that, how many of you know, you can raise your hand on this, how many of you know that God is not always after easy Every hand should go up because he's not. He's not. Look at the beginning of chapter three here in Judges. Judges chapter three um, talks about. So we came through last week talking about how God told him to drive all the people out of the land. I'm giving you the promised land. I've given it to the hand of Judah. The battle has already been won. You just have to go do what I asked you to do and then drive the people out. And they weren't faithful to do that. They weren't faithful to do that. And so their decision to make a small compromise led to major, major consequences. But here's what I want you to see about the character of God today. So in chapters 1 and 2, it was their decision making that left those nations in the promised land. Right? You tracking with me? Their compromise left people in the promised land. Is anybody confused on that? Their decision. People still in the promised land. All right? It's critically important. Let's listen to verse 1 of chapter 3. These are the nations who left. The Lord left. Now, wait a minute. Chapters 1 and 2 were all about how the people left the people there. Now we get to chapter 3 and it says, The Lord left. We talk a lot about the sovereignty of God. We think about somebody like Joseph who his brothers come before him 
in the story in Genesis, if you're new to the Bible, where they sold him into slavery, they uh, were brutal, brutal, brutal to him. They thought he was dead. God brings him through an incredible amount of adversity. He's second in command in all of the world. And his brothers come before him and realize it's him and say, Ah! The Hebrew looks a little different than that, but that's what it means. Okay? And Joseph makes an incredible statement. He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And there's a whole lot of theology wrapped up in that that we don't have time to get into today. But this is where Israel is at, that even in their weaknesses, how does the Apostle Paul say it? That in our weakness, he is strong. And so that's what's happening here. He says, the nations the Lord left in order to do some things, in order to test all those in Israel who had experienced none of the wars in Canaan. This was to teach the future generations of the Israelites how to fight in battle, especially those who had not fought before. These nations include the five rulers of the Philistines and all of the Canaanites, the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived in the Lebanese mountains from Mount Baal Hermon as far as the entrance to Hamath. The Lord left them to test Israel to determine if they would keep the Lord's commands that he had given their father through Moses. Number one, God will test you to teach you. God will test you to teach you. Interesting Hebrew structure there because the Hebrew word for um, test means to seek proof. means to seek proof. And the Hebrew for um, teach means to exercise in. Okay, so, so here's what's happening. In your poor decisions, God is working behind the scenes. In your compromise, God is working behind the scenes not to kick you out of the family, but to test your loyalty to the family. Does that make sense? So my kids, if they make horrible decisions, um, I'm not, I will never kick them out of my family. But how many of you know that there are times where you have to punish your kids? Right? We don't get rid of them, but why do we punish your kids? Why do we punish our kids? Because we love them, that's precisely right, to teach them. And so that's what God is doing here. And what's interesting about that is God has you on a treadmill in your life because he's trying to determine whether you're going to obey him or not. See, a lot of times we, we like to look at our problems and say, God, please take this away from me. And God's, uh, God's in heaven saying, no way. This is exactly what you need right now so that you will trust on me and not you. Because here's a cultural problem we have in the church in the United States of America. We don't pray things like Jesus taught us to pray. Father, give us this day our daily bread. Why? I mean, I got a job. I got a bank account. Like, I don't need God to provide my daily bread. And, and while you would never say that to your pastor, <laughs> I know that we live that way. How many of us are getting up in the morning, falling on our knees before God and saying, please, just provide my family daily bread. And forgive us for our sins as we do our best to forgive others. 
their sins. Are we, are we living that way? And so God puts you on this treadmill and wants to determine if you're going to keep his commands. And the issue, though, is we hate treadmills. <laughs> we hate treadmills. I hate treadmills. Jake and I used to work out together. We don't anymore. I hate treadmills. All right? And, uh, the, but what, what's the problem with that? Treadmill's painful, but treadmill's good. Eating all the food I like to eat, not good, also not painful, right? And so we, sometimes, <laughs> fair. And, uh, but can't we be honest with each other? Isn't that how we live? We've got these competing realities where I know that I can do nothing apart from Christ, John tells us in his gospel. And we've been there. Then we live in this other part of our soul that actually thinks that we can get the job done. That, that we can do some things. And then we get caught in this reality of fighting this battle between the spirit and the flesh. And so we try to blame stuff on the devil that God intends to use to build us. And it's important that we wrap our head around the fact that God is testing you to teach you. God's testing me to teach me. The very thing that we want him to take away is oftentimes the very thing that he's given in his grace that is actually good news because it's wrestling control away from your hands and putting it back in God's hands. It's incredibly important for us. But let, let me try to bring this um, out of the clouds a little bit. How many of you ever went to school ever in your life? You've, you, like you ever went to school. You've sat in a classroom. There was a teacher up front. I mean, most of you have been to church here, so you've at least had this experience where you're out there. I'm up here. Somebody is teaching you. And uh, when you were in school, uh, you don't have to tell me if this is you or not, but how many of you had a friend at school who was just a disagreeable human? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, all right? Th- those of you laughing really hard, we know it was you, all right? We know it was you. It wasn't the compliant ones like myself. And, uh, but what, what, what have we all experienced in school? Somewhere along the way... Some dumb middle schooler, no offense, all right, raises their hand, I love you, raises their hand and disagrees with the teacher. Have you ever had that experience? I'll never forget. I don't know why this, you have memories that stick in your brain and you just don't know why. (laughs) Like, why do I remember that? That's completely useless to me. Well, it's for this reason right now, all right? I, I had a friend in high school, and I'm not going to, in middle school, and I'm not going to say his name because we Facebook Live this, and I think I'm still friends with him on Facebook, so I'm just going to keep that. We'll call him Johnny, all right? He is not Johnny, but we're going to call him Johnny, all right? And I'll never forget, we were in Spanish class, and uh, I mean, I, I was able to figure out how to read Greek and Hebrew, but Spanish was not my thing, all right? And um, we were sitting in Spanish class, and Johnny decided that a word the Spanish teacher was saying was not what it meant in Spanish. 
And I just remember sitting there thinking like, you don't know anything. You are in Spanish one, bro. You don't know any Spanish. The only Spanish I picked up along the way was, yo soy el rey, I am the king, and it was self-serving. And I think Johnny knew less than that. But it seemed so ludicrous. You know, of course, in middle school, you just move on. You're like, oh, what an idiot. You move on. But think about how the Bible presents that as us. Let's, let's take Job, for example. A righteous man. No other man on earth like him. And after going through incredible, incredible testing, he just looks at God and says, I have a question. And God just comes for several chapters and said, Who are you to ask me what I am doing? Were you there when I formed the heavens and the earth? Were you there when I put water on the earth? And he just goes on. Isaiah, Jeremiah, they all they talk about it. His ways are higher than our ways. Past finding out. God will test you. He will test you. But he still wants to hear from you. We're going to see that in a minute. Even in, even in your weakness, God wants to hear from you. But I would just say this. What if God answered all your prayers? Since we're talking about middle school today, how many of you prayed for a, a, a guy or a girl to like you in middle school? Liars. <laughs> not going to say if I did or not. What if God answered your prayer? Sufficient example of that sometimes we don't even know what we're supposed to pray for, which is why when Jesus came and taught us to pray, it was kingdom-centered. It was others-centered. And it was give me just what I need. Prayers, just give me what I need. Paul says in Colossians 3, 2, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Why? Because our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? So we live in this space where we've got to wrap our head around as best we can the fact that God will test you. He might take your health. He might take a family member. He might put you in persecution. He might call you to be a missionary. He might call you to do something that you're not comfortable doing. At a minimum, we know he's called you to walk across the street or walk across the hallway or walk across the cubicle or whatever your story is or walk across the hallway at school and share and it just it just begins there. He he told his disciples, "Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men." God will test you and he's doing it to teach you. He's doing it to teach you. 
And one more point on this is the fact that he's not going to do it in your timetable. The book of Judges, we're, we're talking about several hundred years. And if you look at Joshua, which is the prequel to Judges, we're, we're talking about long spans of time where God was using uh, the testing of his people to produce in them what he was desiring to produce. And he's still doing that in your life. He's still doing that in your life. But as we think about his testing to teach us, what is the goal of that? What, what is he trying to teach us? The second thing I want you to look at, and we'll read through it in a second here, but is that God will test you to determine where you stand. God will test you to determine where you stand. We have Matthew 10, 32 to 39. I, I want to throw that up on the screen and uh, read that together. Because this is, this is Jesus' words, and it sounds like bad news. But I want you to know that it's good news. And we're going to talk about that. Here's what he says. This is Jesus. He says, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others... I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Stop. Okay, we get that, the give and take. But this next verse that's going to come up makes us feel uncomfortable. Because we like to talk about the love of God. But look, look go to the next verse. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against, his, against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That one's working out, by the way. And a man's enemies. I'm kidding. My mother-in-law's in here. I love her will be the members of his household. The one who loves a father or mother, listen carefully, more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You know, you know what that is? That's taking good things and making them God things. It's called idolatry in the Bible. And so you may not have Buddha sitting on your shrine at home, over your fireplace, which you don't need in Florida. And you don't worship and bow down to that. But make no mistake about it, we are idolatrous people. And Jesus knew that. So he goes to the next one, he says, And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. You say, well, what's all that bad news have to do with it? Well, it's not bad news because of that last verse. Because the promise of God is that the good news is that when you lay down your life, you are going to find the one that God has intended you to have. God is testing you to determine where you'll stand, not so he can boot you out of the family, because you might need more testing. You might need more testing. I need a lot of testing, by the way. I need a lot of testing. Some of you are here at Redeemer City Church because I need a lot of testing. So feel free to play your part. Ask questions. All right? 
But, <laughs> thank you. And it's tempting for us to, to look at these principles and just think that they're God's law, to just think that it's God's hammer coming down. And in some ways it is, but it is always for your good, and that's where the good news comes. That the testing that God has put you through or is putting you through is for your good. And it's good news because God knows that if he drives us to the end of ourselves, we'll begin to look up at him. Hebrews says to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. But we can't do that unless we're on our back looking up. Look at how it happens for Israel here. What God's determining. Let's start in verse 4. It says, The Lord left them to test Israel to determine if they would keep the Lord's commands as he, he had given their fathers through Moses. And I circle this next phrase in my Bible. It says, But they settled. But they settled. What a prophetic statement, hopefully not in your life, but I know it has been true in my life. That God is doing significant things in your life, taking you to a theoretical promised land where you can serve him and commune with him and have favor with him. And we settle for less than God's best. What happens But they settled among the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites? And here's where those small compromises lead to big consequences. Listen to this. What a, how terrible. The Israelites took their daughters as wives for themselves, gave their own daughters to their sons, and worshipped their gods. What a sad commentary. For Israel, God was determining in their heart whether they had a love for lust or a love for Jesus. Whether they would trust in the promise of God I was listening to a guy this week. His name is Chris Hodges. And uh, he said it this way. He said, don't complicate God's promise with your solution. That's a good word. Don't complicate God's promise with your solution. Israel is worshiping a false God because they settled with a people that they were never supposed to settle with. Here's the kicker. This generation wasn't the one that settled. But way back when Moses was still leading the people, prior to Joshua leading the people, prior to this next guy, Othniel, who's going to lead the people, way back in the Ten Commandments that Moses received from God in the wilderness, leading the people, as God is testing the people, he comes down and reads the Ten Commandments, and one of them says, the sins of the Father will visit for generations. This is the result of a small compromise that has lasted for generations. And it will for the rest of the Old Testament. In fact, it is today. Look at all the turmoil in that region of the world. Still happening. 
God is testing you to determine where you stand. An interesting fact here, I referred to the love for lust or love for Jesus. And the reason I did that is because when they were worshiping Baal, there was an, an interesting, uh, interesting, for lack of a better term, uh, pra- worship practice happening. So in Baal worship, Baal was the god of fertility and the god of success. And uh, so, so think in that, in that land like crops, offspring, happiness, was all wrapped up in this Baal, this god of fertility, and he had a goddess. And uh, what uh, the Canaanites believed was that when Baal would have sexual intercourse with his goddess, and then he would uh, be participating in that, that it would, through his fertility, bring fertility to the people. And so, in their twisted way of thinking... The way that they would get Baal to act with his goddess was they would go to the temple and there was a uh, group of temple uh, prostitutes that the men in the nation would come and uh, sleep with and have sex with at the temple as an act of worship. And that was thought to um, get Baal to act. But it was kind of like teaching your kid how to blow their nose, right? You ever try to do that? I've got a five-year-old. You ever try to teach your kid how to blow a nose? You're like, um, okay, blow. And what do they do? You're like, no. <laughs> that is the wrong direction. It's, it's impossible, right? And then one day they just wake up and they can do it. It's amazing. At least that was my kids. Why? Because Baal was dead. Baal was never alive. Baal was not real. But if you're a Israelite man, disconnected from the promises of God, because those who have gone before you didn't lead you to God or teach you in His way, that would sound like a pretty good deal to you. Oh, I can please God by doing that? Well, where do I sign up? Small compromises lead to big consequences. Because here is a nation befuddled with themselves and seeking their own pleasure. And God is testing them to determine where they stand. And they fail miserably. And so what happens? Look at verse 7. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot the Lord their God and worshipped the Baals and the Asherah. And the Lord's anger burned against Israel and he sold them to King Cushan Rishathaim of Aram Naharam and the Israelites served him eight years. Sometimes God will test you to teach you And for Israel, that test came at a high price. But how many of you know that the story does not end there? Praise God. How many of you know that in your sin and your failure, over and over and over, the story doesn't end there? Can you praise God for that? Because look at at verse... Number nine, what does it say? The Israelites cried out to the Lord 
The Israelites cried out to the Lord. So God sends the test to crush them. To crush them. Maybe God's sending a test into your life to crush you. What does he want from you in the test? Oh, that you would cry out to the Lord. Because what does the Lord do? The Israelites cried out to the Lord, so the Lord raised up Othniel, son of Canaz, Caleb's youngest brother, as a deliverer to save the Israelites. The Spirit of the Lord came on him, and he judged Israel. Othniel went out to battle, and the Lord handed over King Cushan Rishatham of Aram to him, so that Othniel overpowered him. Then the land had peace for forty years, and Othniel, son of Canaz, died. What about you? What do you love today? And I, I'm not just talking about like we're going to say Jesus, but what is your what is your life? Say that you love. A lust for what pleases you or a love for Jesus? A lust for yourself or for the Lord? Where does God have you on the treadmill? Where is God exercising you, exercising you because he's seeking proof? He's seeking proof of your devotion to him, that you love to obey. What did David say? David was a, was a messed up dude. But what did he say? Oh, how I love the words of your law. Where's God have you on the treadmill today? Where's he exercising you, seeking proof that you love him? But let me also remind you that it's not for your salvation. God's testing you because he loves you. He's not testing you as a ticket into relationship with him. He's testing you because of your relationship with him. And he is a good father. He's a good father. And he is Wooing you back to himself. See, what's crazy about this is Israel was, Israel was, that was, it was evil, the Bible says. And they cried out to the Lord, and what did God do? Rescued them. Listen, I don't know where you are today, but if you're running from the Lord, if you have, the Bible's even generous to them. It says that they forgot the Lord. Maybe you've been so wrapped up in what's going on in your life that you forgot the Lord. That's been true for all of us at some point. Can I today ask you to just take a step back from your life and look at the life that God has for you?